Stay tuned now for Byline Mendocino. Good morning. Welcome to Byline Mendocino. I'm your host, Alicia Bales. The midterm elections are finally over, although we still have several thousand ballots to count here in Mendocino before we have the final results for the many local races. Nationally, the Senate remained in Democratic control, while the House flipped to the very slimmest of Republican majorities. But did you know that the Democrats and Republicans have local chapters here in Mendocino County? Today, I'll talk with one local Democrat and one local Republican for a roundtable conversation about the political parties and what they do on the local level. But first, PG&E is still at it, mowing down trees around their power lines throughout the county, much to the dismay of local residents and landowners. Kevin Collins is a policy expert on fire and power lines who has filed several complaints against PG&E for failing to upgrade their infrastructure. And Walter Smith is a former timber faller and Willits resident, agitating locally for an end to the indiscriminate cutting. I asked Kevin to explain why PG&E has been allowed to cut with no regard for property rights or environmental protections. In 2017, the Public Utilities Commission, which is the principal regulatory agency in here, it's also CAL FIRE, but it's mostly the PUC, the California PUC, and uh, in 2017, they adopted a statewide map that delineated what were regarded as areas at high risk of utility fire ignition. And that ended up being about 25,500 circuit miles of wire across the, the service area. Now, these are generally speaking rural areas. So People in urban areas have no idea what's going on. So the bulk of the population, from a political standpoint, it's easy for this to be, uh, well, ignored or not even understood because it's happening in, in, in the forested lands primarily of California where the population is small. And uh, it's dispersed across you know, thousands of square miles. And so even if Mendocino County Board of Supervisors sends a letter to the PUC, generally speaking, they'll just, I'm just speculating here, but I would assume they would ignore it because they're, you know, it takes a lot more than a, a request for a moratorium to the PUC to get anything to change. This came from Sacramento after the campfire when 85 people, 86 people were killed by a 100-year-old disintegrating transmission tower, uh, the legislature, which, you know, is random whether they know what they're doing or not half the time, they passed two bills, and one of them affected, uh, it, it provided financial protection for PG&E in the event of another massive fire ignited by their power lines. And the other bill made some uh, little, little changes to the code. But this is important for anybody listening to this station to understand. Even in the highest fire risk areas designated by the Public Utilities Commission, the required clearance remained at four feet radial around the wires. 
they have no clear authority to fell at what they call strike distance. What they're doing now is they see, if their contractors see a tree that's 200 feet tall and it's 150 feet from the power line, they may decide to cut it down. And that's when the homeowner, the landowner, you have to be there because if you're not home, they'll just come in and fell the tree. And there's no obligation in the code for them to compensate people for the damage to their property. And so, and PG&E gets paid in their general rate cases. PG&E is regulated by the Public Utilities Commission. They set the rates that PUC can charge us for power based upon their expenses. They're calling this tree falling an expense to prevent wildfires and they get compensated for their for the cost of these thousand contractors running all over northern california so it's a huge mess and most people don't really understand the whole story because it's spread everywhere you know it started in 2018 where i in at my previous residence in santa cruz county they showed up there with and filled uh, uh, about a two or three acre vacant lot in the middle of the county with just scores of big trucks. No one, they didn't inform the local fire department or local police department that they were about to do this. I guess they got an arrangement with the city, but suddenly overnight there was an armada of equipment and contractors and tents and trailers, and they just spread out across Santa Cruz County felling trees without and telling people that sorry but this is for your safety period that was it they the 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 puc in 2017 when they adopted that map they they inserted a guideline not a rule change not administrative law rule change a guideline to clear to 12 feet radially around a distribution cable you know the circuit on your street that has a transformer on it but they didn't change the underlying code, the actual law, which remains four feet. And I have a friend in Santa Cruz County who lives on a private road, so he has more ability to, to, to stop them, the contractors, and he has successfully prevented these people from getting in. Legally, it's completely uncharted territory. You know, PG&E, their contractors may tell you you're obligated. This is about public safety. You don't have any choice, but this has never been tested in a court of law. There is no clear legal basis for it. It's being facilitated by the Public Utilities Commission under the pretense that PG&E knows best how to not start fires when they're the experts at fire ignition from utility lines with all their worn out, fragile, obsolete equipment. Well, Walter, you've been uh, agitating locally and you've started an email list. And one of the things that you sent out recently was an article uh, talking about how um, just exactly that, that PG&E was blaming a fire on the people who refused to let them cut down trees on their land. Can you talk about that and what, what their purpose might be there? Yeah, and I think this is an attempt to bring back SB 396 again, because they want to have clear um, 
access to land. For example, I don't have a PG&E right of way, uh, an easement on my property. It was done before easements were made. Um, and they want to be able to come into my property and others and cut down trees. And they now they're trying to find a, a reason <laughs> to get the legislator, legislature to uh, to act is by saying we're being threatened by landowners and we need to clear their trees. And um, and and the threatening is getting worse. Somebody was carrying a gun. And, and if you remember reading that article, there were the, the sheriff was called and he said there was no illegal activity. Right. So they weren't actually being threatened. <clears throat> um, and I've talked to a lot of people, just talked to another fellow who came here to do some work, um, owns property up in Pine Mountain. And he's had the same problem. He's had to fight them off from cutting trees that just won't hit the lines and they just want to go up there and, and cut them. So, you know, and he had to be aggressive and threatening, so to speak, you know, I don't think he didn't threaten them with physical violence, but I've screamed at them, you know, to get off my property and blah, 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 to a point now where I'm, I'm definitely on everybody's list because I went out and talked to them. As they come by my house, if they park anywhere close to my property, I go and talk to them and they say, oh yeah, we're not coming on your property. We we have it on our you know little computer that you're resisting. So anyway, so, um, and I'm sure other of my neighbors, there's about three or four neighbors here who haven't let them on their property. So, um, but again, you know, it's it's widespread. The other thing I wanted to mention, two things I wanted to mention, make sure I mention one is that I have less than we have less than two miles of line up here and 27 households and they've been here since February it's now November and you wonder you know and then uh, last year the Dixie fire went off with a obvious tree that was defective and they're not they're just they're not prioritizing they're not focusing on the problems there are trees that should come down, but not the trees that they're taking down, <laughs> and that you know, and the, and therein lies the the real problem. So I'm just saying, six months, and hundreds of people and thousands of person hours on my hill for less than two miles of line and 27 owners, and some of them just single lines that went to a single piece of property. Um, anyway, you know, and we're in that map of high fire danger here because we have a hill full of trees and uh, understory and so on and so forth. Anyway, um, the second thing I wanted to mention, you know, that Kevin's been um, talking about a lot, and that is the infrastructure. So this last month, we've had three power outages for no reason. <laughs> they said, the last one, they said it was for weather. We had no wind. We had like, you know, a half an inch of rain, <laughs> a rain. Anyway, the, one of those times, and it's the same area, and it's the same number of households, about 2,000 uh, customers, and they have no idea what, what happened. They sent out a guy, came down my, my road. Again, I'm going out there going, what, what are you doing here? And he said, oh, we're coming to check out where the power outage is because we don't know. And they've sent out six crews and helicopters to find out. And I'm going like, how can you not know? I mean, how come you don't you don't have a a you know a computerized grid that you would know where these outages 
are right where uh, something's um you know something's gone awry in your in your system right either a breakage or a tree over or you know whatever some some other Squirrel, kind of party balloon don't know they don't know where it is and they have to send out all these crews to find it and this has happened three times on obviously the same lines <laughs> and they don't know where it is so i'll let kevin just explain why that you know why that happened yeah uh pg has as far as I know, they have one piece of equipment out on the distribution circuits. These are the circuits that connect directly to your home, not the transmission, high voltage, long distance transmission circuits. So they have one piece of equipment. It was originally designed to keep the power on. It's called a recloser. And it's called a recloser because it's meant to trip open, turn the power off if there's a momentary fault, like a uh, like lines slapped together in the wind. These are all uninsulated power lines, by the way. If these lines were insulated with uh, plastic, durable insulation, none of this would happen. And Southern California Edison is putting up thousands of circuit miles of new insulated cable for the specific reason that it solves this predicament. Because, okay, so a squirrel climbs the power pole, it touches two phases how it trips the recloser and so or it blows a fuse and there's a dead squirrel on the ground maybe the squirrel's on fire its corpse is on fire you got a wildfire so what pg e has done while there, why there are all these what are called fast trip or enhanced power line safety settings they've dialed up the sensitivity on these reclosers so they trip open. In other words, the power goes off on low power faults that normally would never have caused the power to go off. But And it is safer to do this for wildfire prevention because the circuit is tripping off on little faults. And the reason, as Walter pointed out, that it takes them so long to figure out what went wrong is they have almost, they have very little uh sensor equipment on these circuits to tell them where the problem is. They could. You would think a utility would be an infrastructure company, right? It has, PG&E has a hundred about 140,000 circuit miles of wire across its service area. Massive amounts of infrastructure. But they spend their money on public relations, on attorneys, on things that have nothing to do with solving the problem other than destroying trees in massive ex volumes. There, was, there has never been a single environmental impact review of this process from the very beginning. In 2017, the commission illegally declared itself exempt from the California Environmental Quality Act, and that was it. There's never been an EIR about this massive demolition of heritage and old growth and just all, you know, habitat. They are falling trees at a full height based upon the notion that all trees die someday. And when this tree dies, it might fall toward the power line. And that alone is justification in the, between the contractors and PG&E to go out and knock and destroy that tree. 
So it's a massive demolition of resources as well as the harassment of the of the homeowners. Right. And a demolition of resources. And also, as you're saying, there's a huge need for resources to go into all of these upgrades. It's being diverted into destructive activities of destroying the forests of Northern California rather than spending it to make the circuits fundamentally safer. And that's where their whole underlying undergrounding routine comes in. Patty Poppy, as far as I know from reading the newspaper, she's the new CEO. In 2021, she pulled in something like $50 million in compensation from Pacific Gas and Electric. That's the fifth CEO in about five years. They, I, I'm only speculating here, but I think maybe she dreamed up the less underground 10,000 miles. It's a PR stunt, in my opinion, because it's so expensive and will take so long. And you can't just trench up a mountain road without wrecking the geologic stability that holds that road on the mountainside. It sounds good to people in an urban area. think, oh, well, underground power lines are ugly. Why not put them underground? Sure. But it's just so expensive. And there are systems available that make overhead power lines fire safe period they're used in europe they're used in australia they're used all over the place i researched it and filed a complaint with the commission in 2018 because they were ignoring this equipment and they simply dismissed my complaint i just wanted to um break in and tell you that i um um you know in terms of you know what are we going to do i I, I want to get back to how do we, yeah, you know, yeah, how do exactly. we change the way, you know, how do we get them to change what they're doing? I sent a letter to um, the resources agency trying to get a meeting over there uh, and bringing on um, a group of people that would talk to them about what's going on. And I just want everyone to know, including your audience, that it's not just environmentalists. I've been talking to the California Forestry Association that was against 396 and said, the more voices about this concern, the better. That's a quote from the, the executive director. I talked to the forest landowners of California. They said, we want them to stop running roughshod over our landowners. And that's another quote. <laughs> um, the California Forest Licensed Foresters Association, the rural county you know, um, representatives association. These are all people, this is, you know, plus again, we all know all of us environmental groups uh, in Mendocino, every humble, the Sierras, wherever, all are against this. This is one time where you have like this coalition of usually opposing interests all have one interest and that is to get PG&E to stop doing this and I'm going to keep active in trying to then bring this message, if I can, to the governor or the governor's office or somebody as close as I can to say, look, this is not just an issue of a bunch of wacko environmentalists in Mendocino County. This is something about everyone who is interested in forest land and and landowner rights wants something done besides, you know, the environment, you know, protecting the environment so that's my little spiel right now but i just want to let everybody know that i've been don't feel like you're alone i've been contacting all of these organizations even those uh, again that may not be on the same um, political uh, 
position that you are, but everyone has one thing in common, and that is PG&E is overstepping their authority, and they're doing things, uh, you know, against the environment, landowner rights, and all, and we need to stop them. And I'm hearing the same message from all those people. If a group of counties would join together and bring a legal action, PG&E would go pale because they're prevailing now because they're tangling with individuals. Right. But local governments, cities and counties have a huge amount of authority here. They all have contracts with PG&E that are called franchise agreements that whereby the county conveys upon PG&E the right to use these right-of-ways to run their circuits. Any county could, it's very expensive and complicated, but PG&E has no lock on the right to deliver power. There are many municipal utilities across California. There's 41, I think, that are publicly owned, publicly managed, that supply electricity to people. And uh, we don't need to put up with this. We need people to understand that this company has totally breached its legitimacy with the people of the state of California. That was Kevin Collins, policy expert on PG&E and power grid fire safety, and Willits resident Walter Smith. I'm Alicia Bales, and this is Byline Mendocino. We'll turn now to the midterm elections. If you follow the news, it's impossible to miss the national results of the midterms, with the final tallies keeping the Democratic Party in control of the Senate and the Congress switching to a Republican Party majority by the very smallest of margins. But the two major parties have local chapters in communities across the United States. What do these local parties do? And who's involved? Karen Bowers is the chair of the Mendocino Coast Democratic Club, and Mark Seri is the secretary of the Mendocino County Republican Central Committee. They joined me in a roundtable discussion about the work of the Democrats and Republicans locally, and whether Mendocino County is as polarized between the Reds and the Blues as the rest of the country. I've lived uh, in the county since 79. Um, I was a Democrat until the late 80s. Um, I think it was political correctness that uh, was one of the factors that I knew where I came from, that it was a form of Marxist uh, communist thinking and it didn't appeal to me. Um, I didn't become a Republican until 2008, uh, when Ron Paul was running, um, came from a more libertarian end of uh, the party. Um, I worked as uh, both for mental health department and as a uh, psychologist, retired um, in uh, uh, this past January. All right, and Karen? So, um I am uh, currently the chair of the Coast Democratic Club, and I have a long history in working uh, in democratic politics, really starting with Robert Kennedy. In 1968, I was part of Students for Kennedy at UC Santa Barbara. That was a major turning point in my life when he was assassinated. And I put myself into academia after that. I went to UC Berkeley undergraduate and graduate school in political science, focused on American politics and constitutional law. And I went to work for the California Democratic Council 
in 19, uh, let's see, it was probably 1978 when I was still in graduate school. Their office was in San Francisco. Nancy Pelosi was the secretary of the Northern California Democratic Party at that time. And so I uh, worked with her on democratic platform issues. The council was left of the um, primary party. Alan Cranston had started the council as a uh, rebuke actually to Lyndon Johnson and the Vietnam War. So I was very involved in more um, left of center politics in the Bay Area. Ended up going to, uh, to Sacramento worked for the president pro tem of the Senate in the Senate Rules Committee, Dave Roberti, who represented Hollywood, then went to work for the Senate Business and Professions Committee, then came back to the Bay Area. So we moved to Mendocino. Um, we bought our house in 94 and moved here in January, 1999. I worked here um, I, on a number of different community boards the symphony, the art center, and uh, the land, Mendocino Land Trust. Got involved with the Democratic Club here in 2008, working on Obama's campaign, continued on there and became part of the Democratic leadership team after the 2016 election um, here. So. All right, thank you. And and Mark, you are also involved in the local political party. You're, you are the secretary of the Mendocino County Republican Central Committee. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah, actually, um, my first involvement with politics was with the anti-war movement, the anti-Vietnam War. Um, I didn't really get very much involved in politics again until... Um, uh, the Tea Party movement a little bit before that. Um, I blogged with a guy from uh, Texas, um, did a lot of blogging for a while during that period. Um, basically, uh, um, I, I knew where Obama was coming from and I didn't like what I was seeing. So um, that kind of was the impetus for me to get involved. Um, one of the things that I've noticed, um, and then I, from the Tea Party, I became involved with the Republican Party eventually because that was the only other game in town as far as I could see. And that was here in Mendocino County? That was here in Mendocino County. Um, yeah, one of the, the big things that I've noticed over the past 10 years is that there's a huge shift in demographics. Um, on the right, we often talk about the elite. Um, I remember during 2012, I guess it was, Occupy Wall Street, it was all about the 1%. Um, well, the 1% are pretty much on the Democrat side now. Okay, well, what um, I'd like been... to do before we start talking about the other, the other parties, um, my goal for this conversation is to let people know uh, who may follow politics a little bit or who may vote or not vote uh, what the parties are and what they do here in Mendocino County, because I know that we hear a lot about the national parties, right? The Democrats right. and the Republicans. There's a lot of news about that. But I don't think people really understand that there are, that, that the 
the parties have a structure in which they operate on a local level. So my goal for this conversation, and we'll get into the different positions and, and, and stuff like that, that's important too. But really, if we could take it back to basics to start, like what are the local parties? How do they function? How are they structured? And what do they do? Who's involved? That kind of stuff. Like somebody who who may never have cast a vote in their life, you know, or somebody who may be politicurious, you know, how, what do the local parties do here? How are they structured? Yeah, basically, uh, I belong to the uh, Mendocino County Central Committee. Um, for the Republican Party. For the Republican Party. Um, I think I joined around 2009, something like that, and I participated for a while, and then I dropped out and rejoined um, last year, I think it was. Um, the structure is basically uh, every county has a, a central committee, and then there's uh, the, the California organization. Um, we feel underrepresented. Um, generally, L.A. and San Francisco dominate. So, you know, I mean, in that sense, uh, um, it, they control the party, the hmm. California party. The state and, party. Uh, most, most people in rural areas aren't really happy with that, to, to be perfectly honest. And Karen, um, uh, from the Democratic Party side of things, is it structured the same way? Is there, uh, are there rules about how the parties operate and are structured on, in the county level and then the state level? And do, do you think the local Democrats are similarly frustrated with the lack of representation? Well, I think it's a little bit different um, because I'm coming from a club that is the Coast Democratic Club, which is independent. We're a chartered club, but we are independent. So while we have representation on the Central Committee, there's the Central Committee. Central Committee um, follows the California Democratic Party endorsements. They don't become an in independent operator, whereas the club can make their own decisions so our club decided to really focus on local issues, uh, things that we could have agency over. And uh, not that they were not issues of concern to the state of California voters and so forth, but rather got involved in local uh, races so that we could in fact uh, get around issues like healthcare and um, living wage, other things that are important to us locally, fire tax, so forth. Right. Well, that's a good launching point for talking about this current midterm. We don't have local results yet in the in the local races, but uh, we do. We are through the sort of campaign part of the midterms, and we do have our first sort of round of a vote count. There's still over ten thousand votes to count, uh, and we probably uh, we're not sure if we're going to have a result even by Thanksgiving. But we can still talk about the involvement of the parties in this local midterm. And um, especially I'd like to understand because most of our local races are nonpartisan. So were there any particular races that um, the local Democrats and the local Republicans were um, most important to you that you wanted to get most involved in? And, and, and how did you get involved in local races? 
I'd like to take this on just to back up a little bit. Um, back in um, November, actually, of 2021, we had a club meeting and we asked our membership to decide where they wanted to put their energy. We listed local races that were happening here in the county from Board of Supervisors, Fort Bragg City Council, Healthcare District Board, the Sheriff, the District Attorney, the Auditor and Superintendent of Schools. And we had people sign up um, and become working groups in those areas that they decided they wanted to work uh, most on. We also said that we were going to work on trying to, on the midterms uh, in California, hold the house through California and partner with a group called Activate America. So we did that actually, we wrote about 6,500 postcards in the midterms for about seven congressional district candidates in California. And so that was all done through our local volunteer effort. And then our club decided uh, to get involved in terms of working groups, a healthcare working group, work on Ted Williams campaign and work on superintendent of schools campaign. So that's how we decided to get involved through our club membership. All right. So a, a lot of local races that you were looking looking at, and then also the, the national races to hold Congress through California. Mark, what about you and the Republicans? How did you approach this midterm and, and what were your priorities? Uh, our priority was supporting uh, local candidates. Uh, we had events for Gene Yoon, uh, Doug Brower, Brian Dahl, just mostly, you know, people people running for a uh, local office. Um, so um, that that was our main involvement was supporting uh, local candidates. By local, do you mean the state races? Yeah, the state assembly, uh, Congress, um, the state Senate. The governor. Gene Yoon ran for state Senate. And what about any of the countywide races? Did you have any involvement in those? For supervisor, yeah, we did. Um, we did an event for John Redding for, uh, I think that's uh, <clears throat> District uh, Five, I believe. Right, he ran against um, Ted Williams. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that was the only one that I can think of that we held an event for, um, in conjunction with with another group. When you say you held an event, what is it? Just like a fundraising event, or yeah, a fundraising event. Several of those uh, in Fort Bragg and Ukiah. What about you, Karen? What do the local Democrats do on the ground during during the midterms? Well, we're we're postcarders, if that's a word. <laughs> Our group really likes to write postcards, and so that's what we've been doing. And we're starting again to write for Georgia. There's a runoff there December 6th. And we have almost two requests for 2,000 postcards to write. That's happening as we speak. And what are so those? What do, I mean, for people who have no idea what you're talking about, what what's a postcarder? <laughs> okay. Well, I'm one, so there you have it. Uh, postcards are written uh, with a narrative, uh, depending on what the issue is. Started early on last year writing about government accountability to some of the places in California. Then we have um, various things that the, the national 
Democratic Party has accomplished or the Biden administration, American Rescue Act and so forth that have helped people locally. So we write to people and we engage. It's about engagement. It's about turnout. For us as Democrats, turnout is everything. All so right. we've written personal postcards as well, personal narratives to local races here as well. You, so you write postcards and send them to voters, encouraging them to vote for the candidate or the issue that, that you want them to vote for. Um, are the local parties much different than the national or the state parties? Well, I can tell you one difference in our club. We have not done any fundraising. Most people, I think, have been turned off by the number of emails that they've gotten requesting money. And I'm very proud of the fact that our club was able to do what we do simply by virtue of our membership dollars. We've never had a fundraiser. Uh, so I'm very proud of that. We've been able to do what we do on the basis of membership dues. Does that mean you have a whole lot of members? We Currently, we have 72 members. And wow. that, has, that has changed a little bit over time. In 2018, I think we had over 90 members. So it, it ranges depending on what the election year is about. And Mark, what about from the Republican side? What's, what's the landscape like on, on the Republican side? Uh, we're a very small group. Uh, I think currently on the uh, committee, we have uh, nine or 10 members. And uh, we were almost ready to, to become a club um, a couple of years ago before our current chair took over. Um, and she's very good at putting on events. Uh, we don't have a lot of money, so our candidates are generally outspent like 10 to 1. So fundraising is very important for us. Um, we do some amount of calls. We don't have enough money to do postcards, but we do calls. And um, uh, we were going to send out texts, but that ended up being uh, didn't work out. Um, and mm -hmm. and are the national Republicans, um, what we hear about the National Republican Party, is that much different or similar to how you think about the local Republicans? Uh, I, I would say it's different because it's national, basically. But, um, you know, in terms of concerns or, yeah. or how we... Priorities, um, concerns, just what people might think about, um, like, you know, the National Republican Party, obviously the most common thing associated with that right now in the national news is Donald Trump. And, you know, Mendocino, right. California and Mendocino in particular are pretty blue. Um, and right. I wonder if that has an effect on sort of how the Republicans are, you know, oh, yeah, in, in a bluish so. community. I think it's two to one, I think it's about six, uh, you know, one third, two thirds. So yeah, and a lot of people don't wanna be identified with the Republican party because they don't wanna lose business. They don't wanna be canceled. Um, things have gotten pretty nasty uh, these days. So um, yeah. Would you say the local Republicans are more moderate than what we hear of the on the national side or not. No, 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 I'd say there's a, a range just as there is nationally.
This is Byline Mendocino. I'm your host, Alicia Bales. My guests are Mark Seri, Secretary of the Mendocino County Republican Central Committee, and Karen Bowers, Chair of the Mendocino Coast Democratic Club. We're talking about the local chapters of the political parties and their work in the midterm elections. And Karen, Absolutely. how would you re- respond about the the Democrats? Are the local Democrats similar in concerns and, and tenor to the national party, or, or is there something more sort of unique to the local party in Mendocino? Well, we have a we the club that is has a mission um, mission statement, and our mission is to elect progressive candidates. So that really is our focus when we do endorsements and so forth. Uh, The way we approach our candidates are through questions that we put to them where we feel they will make a difference for us in terms of progressive democratic politics. So again, we're very independent of what the central committee here, the democratic central committee may or may not do in terms of their endorsements. Got it. So you're not the party. You are a club that's affiliated with the party, but you can make your own endorsements. You can have your own um, point of view that that, as long as you guys vote on it, that differs from the, the, the party itself. Yes. Do you go to the state conventions or participate with the state or national parties in any way? Well, some of our members are members of the central committee. So similar to Mark's situation, probably, Um, Of course, the Central Committee members are more engaged in state conventions and so forth. Um, And we have opportunities to get involved in that way. But I I guess more more or less our club is is locally oriented. Often when you hear people who aren't particularly involved in politics talking about politics, they'll express frustration with the two-party system. And so um, as advocates for or as people involved with this system, do you think that um, the political parties are important and, and why? Well, they're important in terms of organization and power, basically, um, to run without a party's backing as an independent. You'd have to have an awful lot of money behind you to even be recognized. And I've seen independent people run locally um i remember 10 years or so ago there was a guy that was really i thought was quite intelligent but he didn't have any party backing so you know it's sort of like you don't matter so yeah i mean independents matter to get their vote of course but running as an independent is extremely difficult unless you have a lot of name recognition or a lot of money behind you so that's why they're important. It, it's pretty um, nuts and bolts kind of thing. I mean, it's not it's not a, a very idealistic uh, reason, but that that's the facts basically. It's like you got to pool your resources. You got to come together and organize in order to have enough political power to even be in the race, kind of thing. Right. Yeah. What about you, Karen? What do you think? Well, I agree with Mark. Uh, to the extent that I, I see it as an organizing tool so that here it is, we're the Democrats of the coast. We have members who are not registered Democrats who are in fact declined to state people, uh, which is absolutely fine with us. 
because I think some of the trends show that some of the younger people, for example, are not necessarily going to orient themselves toward a political party. Rather, I think they're looking at issues and values. All right. Well, since we have you both here, um, can we talk a little bit about political polarization between the two parties? Um, do we have it locally? Why do we have it? And um, what should we do to overcome it? Well, I noticed um, when, for example, we do fairs and, um, you know, uh, Stan, who's our, he's been the longest serving member. I mean, he has very cordial relations with uh, the Democrats when they're both at the fairs and, you know, they talk and, um, and also I belong to a group called Braver Angels, which um, facilitates um, a dialogue between, uh, we call it reds and blues, basically. Um, and so polarization is, of course, one of our issues. Um, we're not there to change people's minds, but rather to help them understand where the people that are think differently, um, where they're coming, you know, foster understanding. And what I found with grassroots blues, I, I, I like most of them. I mean, you know, it's like, um, and they're on a spectrum. Quite often they have quite a bit of common sense. We had a event on transgender and most of them were kind of upset about the whole thing of, um, you know, changing a child's sex um, to, to correspond to their current belief system. Um, so they're, they tend to be quite, um, you know, and most of them are boomers, so they're used to talking. Um, what I find distressing is with some of the younger generation that they just, they don't want to talk to anybody. They know it all. And so, um, yeah, I have more difficult with people that are along those lines that don't want to communicate with anybody that thinks differently. Interesting. So the polarization that you see is not necessarily red and blue, but generational. Well, that's a big factor. Yes, generational. Um, we do have some younger people in Braver Angels. Um, but for the maybe it's a time constraint. I mean, young people also have to put food on the table and they're very busy. So that has something to do with it. But we tend to be older, 50 and up. So, okay, Karen, your turn. Um, local political polarization. Do you see it? Do we have it? Do you think it's a problem? And, and what can be done about it? Well, I actually see it as a result of what we don't really have local media and Alicia, you aside, uh, who bring to bear programming where people can hear different voices and different opinions. And we, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on this uh, with you and Mark. But I feel that there are certain news elements that gain ground because of their need to show conflict um, between individuals, really, not necessarily parties uh, in this county. So I, I really see that a lot of people are getting news or even social media issues, you know, what people put out uh, is the polarizing factor rather than a red and blue situation. 
and I, it's not just in the county. I think in you know other areas of media, there's a thriving that goes on when you can pit one politician against another, you know, or so forth. So I, I really think it's a, a um, part of the foundation that we're dealing with, a structural issue that really needs to be changed. And I really think that we need better local media to engage and educate citizens about the issues that are really their day-to-day -day issues that they care about. Here, here. I couldn't agree with you more. It seems like a really important thing to continue to build. Thank you for mentioning that. Well, I would agree with uh, Karen that, that a lot of the polarization is definitely promoted and accentuated by the media. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's... Uh, over the top a lot of the time um, and that we do need more local um, I just don't see a lot locally <clears throat> so we do definitely need more local uh, buy-in to communicate and um, let people know what the issues are but uh, uh, my feeling I, I think I have a similar feeling to a lot of um, call them reds or conservatives or republicans that we're not happy with the elect electoral system. Um, it's not just that we lose. It's it's that um, there seems to be a lot of resistance to having election integrity, things that will convince both sides that the elections are fair. And um, ID, we have to have an ID for everything. That would be one. Cleaning up the voter rolls once in a while. Um, not massive mail out of ballots, not early voting months ahead of time before they've even debated. I mean, so many Senate candidates refuse to debate. I mean, what's that all about? So there's a lot of things that could be fixed. Um, and um, I think from what I've heard from a lot of Democrats, they have no um, nothing against voter ID, at least a lot of them that I've talked to. So, um, but you got to convince both sides. So we haven't, we're not there. And until we're there, we're going to have this polarization where half of the country is going to be happy. The Democrats weren't happy when Hillary Clinton lost to Trump. Uh, and they, they were election deniers for quite some time. <clears throat> so it works both ways. <clears throat> All right. And Karen? How did the midterms go and what are, what's next? Well, I think the midterms went in a way, as people have said, in a historic fashion in terms of the party in power, that would be the Democratic Party here and being able to hold the Senate. I do believe we're gonna prevail in Georgia. I do think, however, having worked on these postcards to voters, some of the issues that come up for voters, for example, signatures, um, a lot of older people, their signature changes over time. And there's been a lot of people concerned that they wouldn't be, have their, their ballot recognized because their, their handwriting got so bad and so forth. So I, I do think that there are ways to change the way our elections work, I definitely think we should structurally look at the Electoral College and uh, really see that when you have 
somebody like Hillary Clinton, for example, who won the popular vote, but did not win the electoral college and where the, the, the issues lie were that, I, I do think that more and more people would like to see more majority representation in voting rather than uh, having the electoral college dictate. I don't believe that the Democratic Party are um, concerned about as perhaps as the Republicans are about about the integrity of the elections. What I have seen is the local people who are counting the ballots from our county and elsewhere, that they are good people and they have volunteered their time to count ballots and they're being pressured and threatened. That is not a good thing. So I would like to see that stop. All right. And just- yeah, I have no issue with the local counting of ballots. I've met Katrina and okay with her. I would like to make one brief comment about the Electoral College, though. The reason the reason it's there is because candidates would not have to campaign in the middle of the country, a lot of the middle of the country, if you did away with it. So basically, you'd leave the middle of the country feeling like they were colonies of New York and L.A., San Francisco, New York, Washington, you know, the two coasts. And, you know, that might be fine for the Democrats, but <clears throat> I don't think very many people in the middle of the country would be feeling great about that. All right. Well, let us finish up by just letting people know how they can get involved themselves. I mean, these political parties, they're made up of your neighbors, right? They're not people swooping in from Washington, D.C. to tell local people how to vote. They are the local chapters of these national parties. So how can people get involved? It's not hard. (laughs) Well, we reach out and we send letters to people and we have gone in and out of having in-person and Zoom meetings. We had, for example, last February, I held a public forum in uh, the beginning of February. The issue was, does our hospital have a future? And there were 92 people on that uh, Zoom, which was awesome. And it really kicked off, um, I think, a lot of citizen interest in what was going on uh, with our uh, local healthcare uh, situation in, and got people engaged in, in that campaign. So I, I do think it's about issues. And I think that if people are interested in, in issues in particular and wanna have agency, at least on the local level, they can uh, look at the club, for example, as a, as a tool, an agent, a, a, a factor of organization for getting involved with people who want to, to be active and take charge and, and um, work with their neighbors. So is there a website or an email or a number for the Coast Democratic Club? Yes, we have a website and it is the coastdemocraticclub.org. Um, and uh, we have, we post what's going on and so forth. So yes, people can go there and they can join through, through our website. And come to meetings, whether they are virtual or in person. Yes. Cool. All right. And Mark, how do people get involved with the local Republicans? Well, we do have a website, um, just uh, Republican Party, um, Mendocino County, um, or the reverse of that, Mendocino County Republican Party. 
Also, there is a very active group on the coast uh, of Fort Bragg area, Federated Republican Women, I think. it's It's got a very long name. <laughs> I don't have it all memorized. But anyway, they're very active, too, on the coast. Um, so um, uh, either one of those uh, websites um, people can look up and contact. And likewise, the Republicans meet in person or via Zoom regularly, and people can come to those meetings and learn more. Right. We meet, uh, we're not going to meet again until January. Our last meeting was uh, this month, uh, right before, I think it was uh, Friday the 4th. But usually uh, we meet on a Saturday, usually the, uh, I believe it's the second or third Saturday of the month, but it'll be on the website when our next meeting uh, will be. All right. Terrific. Well, you guys, thank you both so much for being willing to come on and talk uh, despite all that we hear about the reds and the blues to come and have a little roundtable conversation to just let people in our community know. I mean, yeah, sure. There's politics, but there's also, you know, we're neighbors. And if a tree's down on the road or if you got to evacuate from a wildfire, you certainly want to be able to talk to each other despite our political differences and work together to make sure everybody's doing okay. So I appreciate you yeah. taking the step and, and being here with us. And I hope that people have learned something about the political parties in Mendocino County. Thank you Thank so you. much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That was Mark Sari, Secretary of the Mendocino County Republican Central Committee, and Karen Bowers, Chair of the Mendocino Coast Democratic Club. I'm Alicia Bales, and this has been Byline Mendocino. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.